Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Jesus, just as I am, my God. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love, God. We glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that we can come just as we are. And you will not cast us out, but you receive us, Lord, and you minister to us, and we glorify you for it, God. We thank you. We thank you for your presence, and we welcome you into this place right now. Lord, we welcome your love and your grace and your mercy into us, God. We welcome Holy Spirit in this place right now. And Lord, today as we celebrate Father's Day, we know and recognize that you are our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, we honor you and we adore you and we magnify you. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for being our Father. And we love you today. And we thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You could be seated this morning. Amen. We want to take a moment and release all the teenagers. If you're high school, junior high, uh, you're free to go. Alex is there in the back. Uh, we also this morning want to take a moment, if we can, and, and we want to welcome everybody that is here, everybody that's joining us online. We are so glad that you are worshiping God with us today. We believe God is going to speak to your life and help you and encourage you today. We also want to take this moment real quick and just uh, say happy Father's Day to all of our dads and fathers, grandfathers. Amen. Hallelujah. We appreciate you. We appreciate all that you do for us, and uh, you, are, you are awesome. Our spiritual fathers in this house, we appreciate you. God bless you today. Um, I, I do have a few announcements that I want to make uh, before we get into our message today. Just a couple things that I want to highlight. First of all, uh, I just want to thank everybody that helped us with our uh, tailgate party um, on Friday. It was a great success. Uh, we had a lot of uh, people here, both uh, young and old alike, were getting into all of the fun. And if you want to see some awesome pictures of Pastor Harry acting like a four-year-old, you can get online. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was in the thick of it. He was throwing water balloons and squirting kids and, and even squirting other people and stirring the pot. He was getting people to throw water balloons at each other. So it was, it was quite, a, uh, quite a time. It was just a great time of fellowship and, and fun and, and just being a family. Amen. I think sometimes we need to take time to be a family. And so thank you for all those that helped us with that. And then I want to uh, tell you about a couple things that are coming up. Um, uh, we, we've got a couple Wednesdays I, I want to highlight. So next Wednesday, so in three days from now, on Wednesday, that service, we're going to dedicate that service to one sp specific thing that I felt led of the Lord uh, last Monday in prayer. I felt God speak to me about uh, praying and contending for those that are struggling with long-term pain. 
And how many know the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it tells us that Jesus carried our pain. I know that that's spiritual. I know that that is emotional. I know that has to do with our salvation. But I also believe it has to do with physical. I believe that he carried our pain. And uh, so we're going to talk about that on Wednesday. And so, and then we're going to be believing God for you. Now, if you have other needs, it doesn't have to be uh, in that area. You can come. We'll believe God for you for that. We want to believe God to just touch your life. And you say, well, what if my pain is only short term? Well, let's pray before it becomes long term. Can you say amen? And so we want you to come out and be a part of that. Of course, that's at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, which is uh, the 30th, June 30th, we are going to, in our Wednesday services for a little while, uh, uh, starting on June 30th and then going through the month of July, we are going to do a Bible study. I'm going to be doing a Bible study entitled Understanding the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I really believe once again that God has put this upon my heart. I believe this is a uh, significant time uh, for that. Uh, it's the right time to, to study that. And so th- the reason that I, I'm doing this is because I really believe this is a, a um, in this church anyway, let me just speak for this church. It's not something that we have uh, talked about a lot and I really do believe that we need to talk about it more. And I want to, this it, because it's such an important part of our Christian walk, and I want to just take a moment, I want to read a passage out of Scripture for you. Uh, this comes from Acts chapter 19, and um, <clears throat> I believe this really does uh, highlight the importance of this subject. So starting in verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Now, the reason I think that's important is because Jesus is, or Paul is coming into the place and he's not just finding some churchgoers or finding some people that have gotten saved. He's finding disciples, disciplined learners. These are people that have dedicated their life. That's the context of this. Paul is coming into this place called Ephesus and he finds some disciples. So these guys are all in. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I, 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 I'm amazed at this question because what you need to know is this, this chapter, this verse 19 uh, in timing, the representation of the time that this is happening is about 24 years after the day of Pentecost. And so here comes, uh, uh, and, and when Jesus had ascended, Uh, into heaven. So this is about 24 years down the road. And he says to them, he's talking to disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, they're saying, we don't know nothing about it. Nobody's taught us anything. And then he said to them, well, into what were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Okay, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, they're going, hey, we're going to make sure this is done right. So they're getting baptized again. And when they heard this, they got baptized. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. 
Now the men were about 12 in all. And this is such a powerful thing because it's the introduction of the Holy Spirit, particularly the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to a group of people that are about 24 years down the road from when the Holy Spirit was introduced into humanity, and they don't know anything about it. This is an amazing point of scripture to me. And so we're going to go look at this. We'll talk about this scripture, but it points out that at least in Paul's mind, he was concerned. He didn't come and say, hey, are you guys going to Sunday school? Are you guys making sure you're going to church? Are you in the choir? Are you singing? Are you on the worship team? Are you outreaching? Are you evangelizing? Are you reading your word? Are you doing all these things? He didn't ask him that. He said, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And so this was something that's important, not that all those things were not important. They are. They're significantly important. But this seemed to be the thing that Paul was keying on that they needed, and I believe it's something we need. Can you say amen? And so we're going to take some time and look at that. Now, I just want to stress to you that this, this is important. I know. There's, see, there's a couple reasons why I think that people uh, shy away from this subject for two reasons. Number one is because of all the wackos. Okay, you, this, this is a subject that tends to um, ignite wackos. Amen? Now, here's the truth of that. Before they got the Holy Spirit, they were wacko. They, they, they're, okay, they were wacko with McDonald's. They were wacko, you know, in other stuff too. It's just, it wasn't the Holy Spirit's fault that that happened. And so, I know sometimes they take stuff into the extreme. The other reason people shy away from this is because of misinformation. Because oftentimes, the Bible is taught and more emphasis is put upon opinion about the Bible rather than what the Bible is saying. Amen. And so what we need is we need a healthy foundation of the truth of the Word of God. We need to look at it as it, what it says. What is it saying to us? Not what we think it says. What does it say? Not some website's opinion of it. But go back to the Word of God and trace it out, connect the dots, as it were, and say, look at what picture is God drawing for us. And so that, starting on the 30th, that'll be at 7 o'clock, and I'll be teaching that class. And so I'm, I'm wanting as many as can. And even if you are here today and you say, well, <clears throat> I know about that. This has been something part of my life. Come anyway uh, for a refresher, and, and let's have the discussion. Amen. And so we want to do that. And then also, 4th of July, I want to mention this too. On the 4th of July, it's on a Sunday. We're having a freedom service, and we are going to combine the service, services for that Sunday only. It'll be just the 4th of July, but we're going to combine them, and we'll have the 1030 service only. So mark that down in your calendar. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22, we'll get to that in here in just a minute. Um, we're going to look at this verse of Scripture. My text is really a springboard text. I just want to bring out one point to launch us into our subject today. And once again, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the dads that are in this place. This is Father's Day weekend, and this is the time when we stop for a moment and honor the men in our lives who are fathers and grandfathers and spiritual fathers and stepfathers. And there's no doubt this morning that the role of the father in society is a significant one. It is a significant role in the home, in the church, and in our culture. Can you say amen? amen. It's a role that seems to be in a little bit in trouble 
But what we must understand this morning is this role of fatherhood is irreplaceable. You say, what do you mean by that? There is no substitution, there is no substitute for fatherhood. We need fathers. Can you say amen? We need them. They're indispensable, and they are at every level priceless. So I want, first of all, all of the men that are fathers, grandfathers, spiritual fathers, stepfathers, I want to say to you that, or fathers-to-be for that matter, I want to say to you, your life, because of that, is absolutely significant. Your life can make all the difference in the world for those around you. Can you say amen? Every father in this place holds a place of honor and dignity that should never be underestimated. And it's my hope today that not only will we celebrate and appreciate fathers, but it's, and, and, but it's also a challenge. I don't want to just celebrate it. I want to challenge fathers and grandfathers, but I also want to challenge men in this place. Because I don't want to leave anyone out. In fact, to some degree, I would even go so far as to say I want to challenge women in this place because we need men to rise to the place of power and strength they were created for. Can you say amen? Something has happened over several decades of our society is that manhood has been diminished in the eyes of, of, of the world. It has been confused. It has been misinterpreted. It has been uh, set aside. It has been humiliated. You know, TV often presents, when you watch sitcoms on television, oftentimes the father is presented as this buffoon that doesn't know how to do anything. And, and, and it's like he doesn't have control of his family or he's not very strong or he's passive and wimpy. And, and there's all kinds of things that happen in our society that has kind of come uh, as an attack against fatherhood and ultimately against manhood. Can you say amen? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if your children are grown or if you have no children of your own. This message today is for men and fathers, spiritual fathers in the faith. So if you're here today and you have no children of your own, you can still walk in the role of a father by being a spiritual father, by, by discipling, by influencing, by taking someone <clears throat> under your wing and helping them and guiding them and leading them in the way they should go. This is not only this morning to honor fathers, but it's to challenge men. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So let's look at our text, Ezekiel chapter 22, very familiar portion of Scripture, verse 30. It says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Let me say this this morning about that verse. God is still looking for a man. He's looking for men. And I'm here to tell you, 
you are that man God is looking for. It was about that quiet in the 8.30 too. God is looking for you. God is looking for a man that will stand in the gap. Can you say amen? God is looking for a man that will make the difference. See, most men today are taught such a lie when it comes to what it is to be a real man. The world gives us such extreme shallow standards by which we measure manhood. You know, oftentimes manhood can be measured by ego. Um, you know, manhood can be measured by, you know, success far as are they successful in a sport or are they a great businessman or, or you know, whatever the, their endeavor is. Sometimes manhood can be uh, measured by their uh, um, familiarity with women. Let's just put it that way. Let me tell you something. None of that has anything to do with manhood. There's a lot of men, there's a lot of males, I should say, that have been successful in sports, but they're not men. There's a lot of males that have built big businesses, but they're not men. You see what he mean by that? They don't measure up to the standard that the Word of God holds for what a man is. The greatest man to ever live was the man Jesus. No doubt Jesus, this is the mystery of Jesus Christ. Jesus was and is fully God. Always was and always will be. Yet he was also fully man. 100% God, 100% man. That was the mystery of Christ. How can that be? I don't know. That's the mystery of Jesus. But when Jesus walked on this earth, Jesus walked in a way that revealed his humanity. And everything he did, he did through his humanity, not his divinity. For a period of time, he did not resort to his divinity, but he lived in right relationship with his Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became an example of what we as human beings can be if we will be in right relationship with the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit. He showed us what we were capable of as humans. I, I think it's remarkable that the Word of God says what the first Adam, which Adam means man, the first man could not do, the second man did. The second Adam accomplished it. He walked in a way that revealed not only what God was all about, the heart of the Father, but he walked in a way that revealed to us what manhood and ultimately what humanhood was really all about. Are you hearing me? And so Jesus is the measuring stick by which we measure our manhood. Are you hearing me? And the world, though, gives us these extremely shallow standards. And we are compelled oftentimes to measure ourselves. I, I found that in my life raising my boys that I, I, the temptation was often to uh, celebrate things in their life that ultimately really had no real lasting 
emphasis. Oh, it was good to be a part of, and they did well, and there was certain things that they excelled at, but you know what? Now that they're adults and they have families of their own, uh, none of that stuff really matters. But we celebrated it back then, and, and I know that we celebrate our children, and I know we celebrate their accomplishments, but it wasn't just a celebration of what they were doing. We were putting a premium. I, I was thinking about it between services. I was thinking I was, we were putting a premium on it in such a way as that that's what made them who God wanted them to be, and it had nothing to do with it. You know, oftentimes when I, I think about my success or failure, and oftentimes, my success or failure is measured by what I accomplish in this church. If all the seats are filled, then I'm a success. If they're empty, then I'm not doing as well. And for years, I lived that way, the, the, what we would call the numbers, the nickels, and the noise. You know, you go back and look at the attendance, or you look at the offering, or you look at the, the loudness of the crowd, and, and if you had all those, then man, you're a hot rod pastor. And you know, the thing is, is sometimes that would drive me to a level of, 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 of just confusion and heartache because oftentimes things don't work out well. Sometimes the church struggles. Sometimes people in the church struggle. And what would happen is I would take on that struggle as some sort of measure for my success or value. The other day we had a staff meeting all our staff, and you, as you know, my boys, my two boys, they're on staff, and, and so we had this big staff meeting. We were over Jason's house, and we had dinner together, and so we, we, we joined together, and we began to pray for each other, and we just talked, and, and as I was looking at the room and just there, I, you know, I, I was blown away because my son Jason, he's going to be 32 here in a, in, a, in a couple months, and I was looking at him and his wife and his his two children, a third one on the way, and they're living for God, and their home is a godly home. My son Andrew's 30, and his wife Shay and Oliver, and they're living godly, and, and, and they're, they're living in a godly home, and, and they're saved and serving God, and they, they're active in ministry. And then Amy and Alex, Amy and Alex, you, most of you know, are engaged and going to be married here in a few months, and, and Alex is uh, active in ministry. Amy just graduated from Bible school for three years, and she's back home ready to do ministry. And, and here's my children, my family, and my wife is sitting there, and my grandchildren, and we're all in this room, and I, I, I got looking around, and I thought, you know what? This is the measure of my success. If the church were to close today, and this turned into some sort of shopping center, the reality is I am a successful man because somewhere what I did as a man, I put the truth of the Word of God into my children, and they are following it and living it. And not only are they living it, they're wanting to partner with me in it. And they follow my example, and I begin to realize, you know what, for so long I have measured myself by a measuring stick that had no meaning. It was a four-foot yardstick. You know what happens when you build a house with a four-foot yardstick? It don't stand well. It's a crazy house. Amen. It don't work. And I begin to realize that what I had to do is change the view and the perspective. And I think a lot of men, they have the view of the world. And they're looking at this thing as if, like, this is what I've got to accomplish. If I, you know, all of the, the trappings of performance and 
success as the world sees it. And God says, no, no, you know what? If you will do what I created you to be, if you will be the man that I've called you to be, and if that man is to pick up trash in the foyer of the church, then you will receive the same reward as the man that I sent to Africa to win that continent for me because you were obedient to the call and purpose I set for you. Your reward and your value and your success is the same. And that's what we got to get as men. There's so much struggle over this. It's like, well, because we we, what we're doing is we're using the construct of society as the basis of how we are to live in the church. And church, we're not of this world. We're passing through it. And we have to live by the world our Father in heaven lives in. By that, the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom. Today we have multitudes of males, but very few men. And what we need is for men to rise and be men and not a cheap substitute that the world offers. The the world needs, this church needs, your family needs men of character, integrity, and strength of spirit. We need men that will rise and stand for righteousness, that will say this is wrong and this is right, that won't slide the standard, that won't be wishy-washy with the politically correct crowd. Are you hearing? I'm not saying that they're abusive, and I'm not saying, look, don't for a moment interpret this as that we go on the attack. That's, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Manhood. When you're a man, you know the difference. You have the discernment. You know when to rise and when to shut up. We need men that will stand for righteousness. We need men that will represent the power, the grace, and love of our Father in heaven. We need men that will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need men that will harness the power of faith in Christ alone. And we need men that will walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Can you say amen? In a sea of the male gender, God is looking for a man, a man that will stand in the gap, literally a man that will make the difference. That's what God was saying. He says, can I find a man that will make the difference among my people? David was a man that made a difference. And I believe the reason that 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 was was because David, or I'm sorry, God saw that David's heart was just like God's heart. He was a warrior. He was a man of passion. He was fearless in the face of the enemy. And he was a man that was not afraid to dance in his underwear. What are you you saying, preacher? You're getting a little weird now. You're saying we got to dance in our underwear? No, please keep your clothes on. But there was something untamed and wild about David's heart. And it was the heart of God. Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says, He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's the kind of man God's looking for. He's looking for a man that has a heart after God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that will fulfill all my will. 
It was David's heart that attracted God. And it was David's heart that attracted other men to him. Remember, it was said of David that he had his 300 mighty men. I mean, these were the bad. These were the difficult. These were, these were the guys that were broke. They were in debt. They, 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 they were disenfranchised. They were discouraged. These are the guys that were kind of, you know, society had overlooked and left out. But these were the guys that came alongside David because David possessed something that they said, I can follow it. Men like Adino who killed 800 men in battle with one spear. That's, that's a dude that's bad to the bone right there, man. Or about who, who, how about Eleazar who held his ground and fought until his hand claved to the sword. He said, I ain't giving up. They literally had to peel his hand off his, he could not open his hand. How about Shama? I love this guy. Shama defended a field of beans against the Philippian army and won. I love it. I could see Shama. He's, he's a little farmer. He's got an acre of beans. And he, year after year after year, his crop gets up. He thinks it's going to be great. Philistines come in and they take it all. And finally, the last time, he said, that's it. I'm done. He goes, the only way you're getting these beans is over my dead body. Either I'm going to win the battle or I'm going to die today, but there's not another day going by where I lose these beans. And he stood in the middle of his field and said, enough's enough. And God said, I like that guy. And he sent angels, and you know what? Shama won the battle that day. The whole army came against him, and he said, no, nope, not today. You ain't getting my beans. Over a bowl of beans. See, isn't that the contrast? It just hit me. This is the revelation. You getting it? I know Kathy just got it. The revelation. Shama fought for the beans. Esau sold them. Sold his birthright just to have some beans. Are you getting that? It's like, yeah, it don't mean nothing. Oh, it's something. There's something in that. We need to pay attention to. How about Abishai, who was known as the chief of the mighty men? I mean, to be chief among these dudes, you had to be off the hook. How about Benaniah, who slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day? Benaniah, if you don't know it, he became the captain of David's personal bodyguard. Can you imagine David reading that resume? All right, uh, uh, Ben and I, what have you really done? I see you've gone to school, you've graduated 12th grade, you can fix cars, you can work on chariot wheels, that's good. Um, You're pretty good with a sword. What's this? You jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day and you killed him? You are my bodyguard. You're the man I want. Who jumps in the pit with a lion on a snowy day? Leave the lion alone. He's in a pit. He's good enough. You know the lion has the advantage, right? Think about it. It's a snowy day. What does that mean? It's slippery and it's cold. He's got claws that dig in. He's got traction. Oh, no, no, not Ben and I. He's, no, 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 no. That's my hole. You ain't supposed to be in it. And he dives in there. 
and takes care of that. That just moves me. It moves my heart. These were guys that made a difference. So let's look at some of the things that make, that, that make a difference. Let's look at some of the things, the qualities of a man that makes a difference. The first one, they're men of compassion. I, I cannot stress this enough. I know, I just got done talking about, you know, these guys being strong and tough and all of that. But let me tell you something. There is nothing more um, amazing than a man that has real compassion. God is looking for men of compassion. And the Bible tells us this morning that Jesus was a man of compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. No less than 41 times in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion because he was touched by their feelings, the feelings of what they were going through. But listen, this, this, this uh, compassion was not just a, a, a fleeting feeling. He was like, oh, that's too bad for you. But that compassion moved him into action. He did something about what he saw, and it was the mark of Jesus' ministry. He was a man of compassion. He was able to be sensitive. You know, it's often said, and I've counseled it, is men tend to be less sensitive than women. We know that that's true. It's not because we can't be sensitive. It's because we've been taught wrong. We've been taught that being sensitive is a sign of weakness, that we should be thick, that we should act like gorillas just kind of pushing our way through life. That is not how Jesus acted. Jesus didn't just push himself through life. He was compassionate. He rescued. He moved. He healed. He delivered. Even people that were not even supposed to, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman that came to him and her daughter was possessed, and she's down on her knees begging Jesus to heal her, her daughter, and basically Jesus calls her a dog, and she says, yes, but doesn't even the, the, the little dogs get the crumbs from the table? Amen. And Jesus is so moved by her faith, and he is so moved with compassion, he says, that which you've prayed for is done at this moment. Amen. It touches me, it moves me. Amen. Jesus is a man of compassion. We need to be men of humility. So often men are taught to be filled with pride. And so often men are humiliated. That's not what I'm talking about. You know what hum humility is? Humility is not thinking of yourself less, but it's thinking about yourself less. Are you hearing? It's not thinking bad things about you and thinking less of yourself. It's just that you don't spend so much time thinking about yourself. That's humility. It's the ability to be a servant. It's the ability to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to consider your need before my own. 
And you know what, sometimes church, I struggle with this because I get out into public and sometimes I I get aggravated with people and I'm reminded God often convicts me. He's like, hey man, chill out. The way you're going to act right now is going to speak volumes to these people. Oh, and you know, I've always got my rebuttal. Well, they don't even know who I am. They don't know nothing, blah, blah, blah. He goes, but I do. I know who you are. And you represent me. And if that don't matter, then nothing matters. We need to be people and men of humility. We need to be men of maturity. God is looking for men of... You know, you know what maturity is? Maturity is the ballast in the bottom of the boat that keeps your boat upright in the middle of the storm. You know, I was thinking about this because so often I'm approached by people that want a place of leadership. They want a position, they want a title, they want a place of leadership in the church. And they always come, they come to me with their their qualifications. I'm qualified, I'm qualified. Look, see, I got this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, yeah, I see that. But the one quality or the one thing that's missing is maturity. In other words, it's time in. It's time. And I got thinking about that because a few years back, God gave me a great illustration because I had been talking to a a, a guy. He's no longer in our church, but I had been talking to him, and he was really wrestling with me about coming into a place of leadership. But I said, no, that's, that's a great thing, and I want to help you, and I want to raise you up, but it's not time yet. You, you don't have the, the maturity to be able to handle that position yet. And that was quite offensive to him. And I, and we la- I left Jacob's ladder and went home, and, and as I'm driving home, I'm praying. I said, you know, God, I don't know how. How do I communicate this reality of maturity without being offensive? And I remember God spoke to me. He gave me a great illustration. He had reminded me of my grandson, Titus. Little Titus had that particular, just a few days earlier, had a squirt gun. And he was running around the house and Jason and Courtney's house, and he's, you know, he's squirting dad, squirting mom, squirting me, squirting grandma. You know, he's doing his thing. You know, he's, you know, he's doing that. He's got this squirt gun, and he's, and he's actually pretty good at aim. He can aim pretty well. He could hit the target. Gun control. Being able to hit your target. See, that's that. He had it down. He had it down. And God reminded me of that. And you know, little Titus was at the time about two years old. And he says, you know, you know what, John? You know what the great thing about Titus is? He knows how to pull the trigger. He can do the job. But he's not ready to do the job. And, I, and I, I thought about it for a moment. He goes, and this is what God said. He goes, let's take the squirt gun away and let's give him your 357 and let him run around pulling the trigger. See, at, he, he, may have the, uh, he may have the ability to pull the trigger, but he doesn't have the maturity to know the power that is in his hand that can not only hurt himself but others. That's what maturity does. It gives you the ability to discern. There's a lot of people that come to me oftentimes and they look at me and they go, what makes you different than me? Absolutely nothing other than the 48 years of serving God. It's just time. I've been doing it a long time. I've weathered a few storms. 
I've been shipwrecked a couple times. I've had my boat smashed apart. I had to swim to shore and met up with an angry gang at the shore. I've been there, done that. But the people that I thought were coming out to rescue me really were coming out to drown me. Been there, done that. How do you survive that? You learn. You learn, and I did learn. My first job, my very, very first job in the church was the assistant to cleaning. The, I wasn't even the full-fledged janitor. They didn't even let me be fully janitor. You're going to assist the janitor. What do you do to assist the janitor? You go get his broom. They don't even let you sweep. You, here's your broom. I'm sure I can handle it. You don't have enough time in. This is serious business. And I moved up the ranks. And there was times that people were promoted above me. I remember, most of you remember Jeff Adams. Jeff is in heaven now. He's with Jesus. But I remember Jeff and I, we were kind of, you know, we were together and we were kind of that racing, you know, who's going to get promoted next. And Jeff got promoted to what we called at the time door director. And that was kind of like the pseudo assistant pastor. And he got promoted, and all of a sudden, Jeff started telling me what to do. Whew. Who are you to tell? Yeah, we were doing a work day at the church, and he goes, John, I need you to do this, 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 and this. And I went, get after it then. I mean, it made me mad. It made me mad. He got promoted above me. Who does he think he is? Because at the time, I didn't have the maturity to understand that God was at work. And you know what the funny thing was? God was actually at work in me because I actually went out to pastor before him. So what was happening is God was whipping me into shape and I didn't have the maturity to even understand it. I digress. We need to be men of faith. Think about it for a moment. It's faith that we stand upon. We stand on our faith. It's in that storm when we don't know what's going on. We don't know how to face it. We don't know what to do. We don't cut and run. We hold our ground. When you can't see an inch in front of your nose, you hold. Jesus is my provider. Amen. Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my midnight rider. Amen. And I ain't moving. When he shows up, I'll move. We stand in faith. Men of valor. Four characteristics of men that were men of valor where they understood the signs of the times. They could see what was going on around them. They, could, they were sensitive to what was happening. They were expert in war and instruments of war. It was, you know, in their days, it was shields and swords and spears. In our day, it's called the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
And we need to be expert in the art of Christian warfare, spiritual warfare, taking on understanding that Ephesians chapter 6 says that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is never human. So you don't understand the humans in my life. I do, and they are not your enemy. The Bible says your enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I know he uses human beings to do that stuff, but they are not your enemy. We are fighting on the wrong battlefield. We need to be able to keep rank. In other words, we understand our place in the position. We understand the authority we have over others, and we understand the authority over us. And they were not of a double heart. In other words, they didn't have one foot in and one foot out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Too many men today, are there, they're, they're in what the Bible calls the valley of decision. They're just trying to decide whether they're still going to be carnal or whether they're going to walk in spirituality. And the Bible says when you're in that place, you're unstable. But these guys, the men of valor, they were not of a double heart. They were convinced. That's what we need. Can you say amen? amen. And I, I, I want, I use this today, this sermon, to stir you, to challenge you. Because I want men to rise. And as I bring this sermon to a close, we're almost done. I'm going to ask Jason to come and just play some music. I want to read something to you. Because I thought it was brilliant. That really does sum up in a very, very practical way what I'm talking about. A book was written several years back by a man named, by, by a man named John Dresser. He wrote a book called If I Could Do It Over Again. And I thought this was so amazing. And in it, he shared eight things that he would do differently if he could go through all those years over again. And he said this, first of all, if I could do it all over again, I would love my wife more. Because by loving my children's mother more, I would create an environment of security in our home. Our love would be something they could see and something that they would never have to worry about. See, so he said, second, I would laugh more. This one gets me. This one probably really is the two by four across the face of my life. He says, I would laugh more. I would relax and enjoy my children laugh at their antics <clears throat> and I would spend more time with them and just enjoy being a father you know sometimes I think we take life so seriously we get tired and anxious and you know carrying all the weight sometimes you just, you just need to laugh my grandchildren have such great senses of humor I love listening to them talk sometimes it's just it's like you're three. How did you get that? Third, I would present more realistic model for my children to follow. I would be honest with them about myself. I would let them know that I had problems in school too, that I stumbled and made mistakes and failed. I would let them know that I understand and that they can come to me when they failed because I have been there as well. Fourth, he says, I would listen to what they say. I would listen to their pains and problems and worries and concerns. I would listen when they wanted to talk to me because now I realize that if I listen to them when they are small to their little problems, when they are big and have big problems, 
they will still come talk to me. Fifth, he says, I would stop. I I was amazed at this one because this almost seemed like a contradiction, but just listen. He goes, fifth, I would stop praying so much for my family because a father's prayers so often sound something like this. God, make my son or daughter good people. Help them to succeed in school. Help them to find the right person to marry. Take care of them and protect them. Instead, I would start praying more for myself that I might be the right kind of father, realizing that when I become the right kind of father, my children will become the right kind of children. Sixth, he says, I would pay more attention to the little things. I would begin to appreciate the touch of love and the word of encouragement. So many times we fathers are quick to criticize their failures, slow to praise and encourage them when they do right. Seventh, I would create an environment of belonging. I would want my children to know that they belong and that they are important family members because I realize they're going to be people saying to them, join this or join that. But if they have a solid identity in the home, in the family, they will not easily be led astray. And last, but certainly not least, I would make God an intimate friend of my family. I would use his name freely. I would communicate to them that he is involved in all of our family decisions. And I would want them to see me pray and read God's word and search for his direction and leadership. You know, when I read that, I thought to myself, that is so amazing. You know, I I think as I look over the landscape of my family, I think Kathy and I have done a pretty good job. But I I know that there are areas that we could do better in. I know there's areas that we can even at this place, at this time in our life, all our, our children are grown, all married except one, but she's on her way quickly. Those last three years in the empty house was great. Now she's back. And the boyfriend is always back. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> we love him. He's a good guy. And we're glad they're there. I just joke. But you know, I, this Father's Day, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to challenge you. And so I want to finish this service today. I want to do one thing. It's going to be very quick. And, and we're going to probably, we'll probably be leaving service in five minutes. But I want, to, I want to do something. I want all the men... I know this is sometimes a pain. I want you to come up and stand up here because I want to pray over you. You say, why do I got to do that? Because there's something about getting out of the boat. There's something about activating our faith that says I'm going to come up and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, there's probably one area in there that needs improvement, an area that needs something. You know, do you need just need God to help. And I am amazed. I, you know, as I think about the 830 service, the men that came up and I see the men that are in this place, this place is blessed. I look over this crowd and I see, I see the men that are turning the world upside down. You are great guys, man. Some of the testimonies that I know about, the faith, the hunger and the passion for the word of God that I know that exists amongst this rank 
looking around and the men that I know, the successes. The failures, but you stayed with it. You didn't quit. You kept going. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Let me just say this. I feel this, I feel this in my heart right now that there's some that need to hear this. God's proud of you. God's proud of you. God looks down and you say, well, what did I do? He said, you did what I asked. You say, well, all I did was pick up some paper. That's what I asked you to do. If you did what I asked, then you've done everything. You fulfilled my will. And the greatest thing any man can do is fulfill the will of God. And as I look around, I see guys that are awesome. There's so much potential in this room right here. There's so much reality in this room. And, and you know what? I just want to take a moment and I want to pray over you. I'm not going to lay hands on everybody. I just want to pray. So would you bow head? And with the women, would you all stretch your hands towards these men? Father, right now in Jesus' name, I lift up these men, the men of our church. God, I thank you so much for them. I thank you that they have had the faith to come up and stand in this place. God, I thank you, Lord, for their victories. I thank you for their strength. I thank you for their passion. I thank you, God, for the grace of God that is upon them. And Father, right now, I pray that you would touch them. And if there are men in this place, God, right now that are struggling with issues and difficulties, Father, I pray that you would come alongside. Father, that your grace and your power would be next to them, your strength to overcome. Father, right now, I plead the blood of Jesus over these men. And I take authority over the enemy and the strategy of the enemy that has been sent to diminish and undermine and humiliate manhood. And Lord, in these men, the the strategy that has been sent to sideline them, Father, I take authority over it. And Father, right now, I release, God, your Holy Spirit into these men. I release your grace, your goodness, Father, your strength, God, that these men will be the men God, that take the world for Jesus, that right from this place, from Kingman, Arizona, these would be the men that will make the difference. Father, that when you seek a man, you could seek these men, Father, for they will respond. They will stand up and be that which you've called them to be. And Father, I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Tell the Lord you love him. Father, we just praise you, God, right now. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We glorify you. We glorify you. Hallelujah. Now, I know next men's discipleship, all you men are coming. Okay. It was a setup, wasn't it? You can go back to your seats. Uh, uh, Andy's going to close the service today. And so, God bless you. You guys have a great day. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.